Mom and Dad went to a show They dropped me off at Grandpa Joe's I kicked and screamed, said please Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Have you ever studied for a test all night long, only to get into the classroom and realize that none of the questions you studied for are on that examination? Have you ever gone to the grocery store and filled your shopping cart completely, only to realize you forgot your wallet at home? Have you ever planned a special meal and burned the chicken? As a podcast host, You always want to have a backup to your backup to your backup to your backup. A lot of people ask me, I want to start my own show. Do you have any suggestions for me? That is my suggestion, ladies and gentlemen. Have a backup plan. You're about to listen to an epic interview with Paul Jackson from the legendary 93.3 WMMR here in the city of Philadelphia. I, too, had planned for this. Studied. Got my questions in order, had my microphone set up, had the lounge all set, ready to go. Sadly, Jackson's microphone did not pick up and there was a system crash within my computer due to a sync error violation. I thought the interview was lost. I thought we would never hear these epic stories of grand proportions. But luckily, I had my cell phone recording. So what you're about to hear is that epic interview, that podcast with Mr. Paul Jackson, and it's recorded through my iPhone. So, always have a backup to your backup, and remember, when something bad happens, something good will come from it. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Bobcast with you, Zoe Says Bob, live in the lounge, staring at the Ouija board. Tonight's guest is the voice of 93.3 WMMR weekdays from 3 to 7 p.m. on the legendary 93.3 WMMR. I first met him in 2006. My band Downtown Harvest was returning from Los Angeles, California. We had just recorded our first studio album. We were hungry, hungry to get our music out there to the entire world. We wanted to play to the universe, and we wanted to get up there on that big stage. But one of the most difficult processes that we faced was getting our music on the radio. And when you get your music on the radio, it's a really defining moment in any musician's life. And the first person to do that is here in the lounge tonight. He took our song, Hurry Before Worry, and he put it out on his Local Shot series. And after that, for the next, probably, I say, seven years, we played at the World Cafe Live, Doc Watson's Grape Street Pub, and even the Theater of Living Arts here in Philadelphia. So he's a great guy. We're going to get to know him. He spends a lot of time on the air playing music. So we don't really get a chance to dive into his character. So with that being said, please welcome to the Bobcast, Mr. Paul Jackson. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Glad to be here. So where where did you grow up at, bro? Uh, military. Military family. Mm-hmm. So you name it, I was there. So you were you were basically like just living all around like the United yeah, States? You know, we we bounced all over the place. We moved every couple of years wherever the Air Force sent my dad. Okay. Uh, and then my parents got divorced. And uh, I was in the Midwest for a little while, but then my mom got remarried mm-hmm. to, guess what, another Air Force guy. Wow. So we spent the rest of our lives bouncing all over. I think it was a good thing, though, because it kind of prepared me for, for radio. Mm-hmm. Because coming up in radio back then, you had to bounce around the country. You know, you had to work in little towns. 
make your way up, do well, move on to a little bigger town, make your way up, you know. So I was used to moving around. It didn't phase me. So where was like the most influential, like when you were growing up, like what was the one city you were like, wow, this is, this is my spot? Um, you know, it's funny. I spent a lot of time in, in, in Colorado between like Denver and Steamboat Springs and Colorado's like always been home, Uh you know? Um, and I worked my entire radio career trying to get back to Colorado. That was it. That's all I wanted to do was get back to Denver. Um, but in the process, I spent like eight, nine years on the East coast. Mm Mm-hmm. Didn't realize how much I loved it. Finally got back to Denver. I was there a year, and all I could think about every day was getting, getting back to the East Coast. Like, yeah. People are too slow. Yeah, yeah, so I know that feeling. Can't, I can't handle this, man. Yeah. You know, it was culture shock when I first moved to the East Coast. Like, the first city I lived in, uh, working radio on the East Coast was Providence, then Boston. Wow. And, you know, everything moves. Mm, quick. Quick, you know. East Coast you know, lifestyle, East yeah. East Coast lifestyle. It's completely different, but you, and at first it's kind of a culture shock, but then you, you, you know, you grow to love it mm-hmm. most. I think do. So when did you first realize that you wanted to be on the air? When did you first realize that you wanted to be a radio DJ? High school. Yeah. Yeah, I had a creative writing teacher when I was a senior who um, walked over to my desk and dropped a bunch of uh, radio school brochures on my desk. And she goes, you have a very big mouth. (laughs) (laughs) And she goes, and you have a great voice. I'm like, thanks. Uh, She goes, I really think you should consider this. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I think I kind of blew it off and went, yeah, 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 whatever, whatever. Um, and then, you know, the more I thought about it, I was like, that, that would be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. That, was there, was there a program in high school that you could try that out? No, at? not really. No. Yeah. And my first job in radio was in sales. That's how I tried to get my foot in the door. Oh, wow. You know, I realized you don't just walk into radio. Yeah, you can't. You, no. You can't. And everybody said, well, you got to intern or you got to get your foot in the door. You got to do something. And a sales job came open and I went in there and sweet talked my way into the job and sold nothing for like three months, nothing <laughs> before I got fired. Uh, but in that three months, yeah. every night I was hanging out with the night guy. I was going into the studio. What what, what studio was this? This was um, this was the last place my dad was stationed, uh, which was Rapid City, South Dakota. Wow. Was this, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I still have nightmares about Rapid City, South Dakota. Yeah. But yeah. Um, and I, I hung out with the night guy, and I'd watch him spin tunes and take phone calls, and was just like hooked. Like that magic, right? Yeah. yeah. That was it. And um, then I got fired. And then was like, well, I guess radio's not going to pan out. Yeah. Uh, and then I ended up in back in Colorado in Steamboat Springs, and I was a ski and snowboard instructor. That wow. Was my job. And uh, my roommate worked mm-hmm. the overnight shift on the weekends at a little hippie radio station up there called KFMU. And, uh, you know, one day he says, yeah, I think I'm going to quit that radio job. I really want to go out on the weekends. Because he'd have to go on at Friday night at midnight, yeah. Saturday night at midnight. He never yeah. got to go out. And I was like, man, I always wanted to do that. Ever tell you I always wanted to do? He's like, I can get you in. Have you ever done radio? And I was like, yeah. That's all I said. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he got me in. Wow. I interviewed with the guy. I didn't. I didn't really lie. Yeah. <laughs> but he said, so Sean tells me you, you used to work for a radio station in Rapid City. I was like, yeah, yeah, I did. He's like, great, great. So you've got some experience. Yep, you bet. That was it. That's but the way to do it, folks. He's like, can you start tonight? I swear to God. Start it that so night. So here's what I did. I said, yeah, do you think maybe you could throw one of your part-timers in there or something for my first night so I don't screw anything up? Because mm-hmm. I was petrified. I'm like, dude, I have no idea what to do. Yeah. Right? So I walked in there and I just faked it. Faked it, dude. And that was it. That was the beginning. And did, did it run smoothly that first, like, you know, like trial run? Or um, did you encounter any technical? I think I was probably really, really nervous. Yeah. Like, I wish I still had a recording of that. Oh, that would have been awesome. Probably like the shaky voice. And, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it, was, uh, it was interesting. But I worked there for... Three years, 
teach and skiing during the day, and then I worked six to ten at night mm-hmm. on on that little hippie station. And, and then just what kind of music were you playing? Oh, everything. Yeah. I mean, it was like, uh, are you familiar with uh, like KBCO yeah. in Boulder? Mm-hmm. It's very very similar to KBCO. Matter of fact, we were consulted by their program director at the time, so we wow. were playing everything from uh, the Grateful Dead to Stevie Ray Vaughan to Joni Mitchell to. Mm-hmm. You know, Jefferson Airplane, I'm all over the place. Blues Traveler. Were you using tapes or were you using records? We were right in between the CDs and vinyl because at the, yeah, time, at the time there were thousands of CDs out, but there was still plenty of records we played that there wasn't a CD out yet. Yeah. You know, so if you if you wanted to play some old like Jefferson Airplane or something, you had to pull out. Yeah, you had to line you up you the needle, right? Vinyl, yeah. To cue it up. Did you ever have the needle like scratch or uh, fall off? Like no, the record? no, I was I was always pretty fortunate with that. I always heard horror stories, but yeah, yeah. yeah. So that that must have been interesting making that medium like change of like all the LPs and EPs, the record formats, and then CDs yeah. and like tapes and like yeah. it's just it's it's kind of a, an evolution really of music how it was packaged and stuff. And like for a disc jockey, I guess anywhere in the United States of America, it must have been you had to adapt, right? right? You know, it, it's just like anything else. It's like technology. It it, it it, it's happening all around you, so you don't realize how much is changing. Yeah. Like when I pick up my iPhone today mm-hmm. and look at it and go, wow, you know, I, I know. think back to even 10 years ago. Like even 10 years ago, were you on Facebook? No. You no, know what I mean? Weren't. But you don't, you don't realize how, how quickly things are changing all around you because it's just... All the time, yeah. Radio was the same way. It's like we used to have to press a button for every element of fire. You know, you used to yeah. sit there and man... Um, Man the controls, and when you wanted to fire a CD, you fired it. You cued the record, you know. And then when a commercial played, you had to fire each one individually off wow. of little eight tracks. And now, you you walk into the studio and it says auto mm-hmm. manual, and you put it in auto until oh, wow. it's time to talk, and the computer does the rest. Yeah. It knows. It knows what's going on. It, it takes care of it all. Yeah. So I mean, like. You know, obviously you became a DJ and stuff like that, but I mean, you had to have an interest in rock and roll and music as a oh, kid. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So, like, what what are your like yeah. main influences as a kid growing up? I was that. You know, I was probably like every you know black shirt wearing teenager yeah. you've ever met. I mean, my room was covered with. This will date me a bit, but you know, Hip Raider and Circus Magazine. Used okay, to be yeah. Big rock magazine. I love Circus Magazine. Yeah. And we used to cut the pictures out. Mm-hmm. My four walls and ceiling covered with you know. Uh, Led Zeppelin, ACDC, Motley Crue, Judas Priest, you mm-hmm. know. The true Black pillars Sabbath. of rock and roll, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I probably came up the same way everybody else did, did that, that has a, a passion for music. You know, the first time you hear Led Zeppelin, it's like, holy I know. shit. Wait, what's going on with them? Why can't they get back together, man? You know, just once, <laughs> right. you know? I, mean, I, I don't know, I kind of agree with Robert Plant, man. I think he, he knows how legendary they were. Yeah. And, you know, and they've offered... To, to millions, billions. Yeah, so much money. It's disgusting. Yeah, for them to do it again, and I think he just knows he'll never be as good as he was. He's just aged. You know, it's just. I think he knows it would not be what it was. You know, people would go see it though. Oh, they go. I see mean, it, I saw them in 1999 at. Uh, yeah, I, never, the, I never got to see him. I saw Page Plant yeah, when uh, right. I think it was at the Spectrum, or no, it was just when I think the new place opened, yeah. and I sat behind them. You know, like Pearl Jam, they just did that show where it's like right. the round yeah, scene. Yeah, yeah. So I'm watching Led Zeppelin, but I'm looking at them from behind. And it, to me, it looked like, you know, 1973. You know what I mean? It looked like Led Zeppelin. And they sounded awesome. Yeah. But yeah, they were a main influence for me as well, too. I mean, when I discovered them, I, f- I felt like I found like some sort of like magical wand in the, like, yeah. the woods or something. I'm like, what is this? Yeah, it was the so day, different. It was a, a, a different era. It was a, you know, radio was, was the, the most powerful medium for music you know now everything is so segmented so yeah. divided and so many pieces of the pie 
so many. But back then, that was the the era of like stadium bands. Yeah, you know? it was every band that was big sold out stadiums and 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 huge venues. Yeah, I mean, you saw concerts, and the concerts you went to see were were always sellout crowds in an arena, arena rock spectacles. Yeah. yeah, there was no you know. I was back, I think, when record companies used to look at a band and go, we like them, sign them, develop them. Yeah. It doesn't happen anymore. Uh, are you watching vinyl on HBO? No, no, I heard you talking about you it. you got to check yeah. that out. Ah, oh, so it, it's yeah. about just that. Yeah. You just nailed like the, yeah. almost the synopsis of the whole show. and it's, right. it, it's amazing that at a certain period of time, the goal was to develop the, develop artists, the artists, you know, and like make them, yeah. you know, into they created legends. Them. Yeah, yeah. Created them, yeah. yeah. I just uh, showed my son uh, Queen the other day for the first time, Freddie Mercury yeah. dancing on the stage. He he definitely took to it. He was like, what's this? But yeah. I hear what you're saying, though. I mean, that element of rock and roll, it, it exists still today, yeah. but it's so, like, it's it, you had you, people have to work at it now. Record companies and, and, and radio worked hand-in-hand hand to develop and create these, these monstrous mm -hmm. uh, acts. But remember, you know, back then all there was was radio as a source of music. So if if... True. Um, if you were in Philadelphia or, or Los Angeles and and uh, a radio station played your song, mm -hmm. that was it. That was it. That's all it took. That's all it took. That's man. all it took. If you were getting national airplay, that's it. That's going to break your band. Yeah, because there was that was it. That was, that was the main. It. Yeah, everybody heard you. So it's it's really difficult. One of the themes we talk about here on the Bobcast is you know still trying to inspire young musicians right. who are listening right. to not give up because it's like there still is a chance. It was a lot easier back in the day, but that doesn't mean that you can't be, you know, the next Nirvana. You know what I mean? Um, what was your first concert? First concert, Molly Hatchet, Carowinds Amusement Park in wow. uh, North Carolina. What do you remember about it? Not much. <laughs> Being at the park with like family, my grandma and grandpa, and, and strolling over to this like free concert area, mm -hmm. Molly Hatchet, and I was like Molly Hatchet. I, mm -hmm. I, that day, I became a Molly Hatchet fan. Um, but I would say my first real concert where I actually bought a ticket, bought a ticket. you know, for $8.50 or something like that, uh -huh. and went to the concert was was Def Leppard. Ah, uh, that's awesome. Tour. Pyromania? I think it was Pyromania, yeah. It was when uh, Rick Allen used to wear the sleeveless uh, sleeveless Union oh, yeah. t-shirts and the, and the shorts, yeah. Dude, they were... He had two arms back then. He saw, yeah. Tragically, he lost one arm, if you don't know Def Leppard, and yeah. I believe a bus accident, right? Like a, a car accident. Car accident rolled over on his arm. But what a, what an amazing story, really, though, because that guy yeah. continues to play to this day. They still do... They just did a tour a while ago, like a dual headliner thing, but um, I remember distinctly as a kid listening to Pour Some Sugar on Me and, and thinking, like, two things, like, wow, that drummer's awesome, and two, where can I get some ripped-up jeans like that because yeah, right, it looks so fresh, you know? Yeah. But, um, yeah, that's awesome. Um yeah. Man, Def Leppard, I you know I, I have that album. I have to break that out and, and listen to it. Yeah, that and uh, and I and I saw ACDC every single tour, like every time they came around. I, there's a couple. There was a couple regulars that you always went to see ACDC and Aerosmith. So let's talk about ACDC. How do you feel about Axel taking over uh, the reins? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I I almost bought tickets to uh, Guns N' Roses um, yeah. at the link. I was sitting at my computer, and I'm like, you know, you're like, you know, you're about to hit the button. You're yeah. like, should I get this? Yeah. I was like, I'll wait. And then, like, the next week, I found out that he had, you know, broken his right. leg. And I think you can actually see the footage, folks, yeah. on Instagram or YouTube, the exact moment where Axel thinks something's wrong with yeah. my foot at the right. Troubadour. Right. But um, I had seen Dave Grohl last summer in The Throne, you yeah. know? And I, lo I love the Foo Fighters. Great band. But at the same time, I still missed 
Dave Grohl running around the stage, sure, yeah. you know, and uh, Axel, I hear now, is actually singing a little bit better just because he's he's not exasperating himself, but I saw the footage of them with ACDC, and I thought it was kind of peculiar, like, shouldn't you put all your focus on Guns N' Roses right now? Like, I know it's an honor to do ACDC, yeah. but, you know, like... Yeah, and I think ACDC was probably thinking about, look, there are, there are, I think I saw an article somewhere, it was like five people that would be a much better replacement for Brian Johnson than... Oh yeah, Who, who's at the top like of the, the list? Guy from like Airborne. Oh wow, yeah. Listen to the band Airborne. Yeah. I mean, come on, that'd be you perfect. Know? And there were there were a few people that uh, the guy from Jackal. Oh, that'd um, be good. Right. Yeah, there were a few people that would fit that bill, but I think ACDC was probably thinking, you know, what's going to sell tickets and what's going to make the fans happy. You know, what's going to make the fans happy? Big. We need a yeah. big name. We don't need to come in and sound like a cover band or you know a lead singer who's trying to just. Yeah, I, I was one of the people that um, got screwed at an Axel show, and I just. Tell me about it. Let's, let's hear about it. I was at the in Mile High Stadium in Denver. Um, for the, do you remember the tour with Metallica? And oh, yeah, the infamous one. Yeah. The Riot Tour, right. if you will, right? Yeah, so I was in the, uh, the the Snake Pit area. Metallica used to do this thing on that tour where they where the stage went around and they had a pit in the middle. Oh, wow. And, and if you got lucky enough to score these passes, you were one of 50 people that stood in the middle of the stage while they played around you. Which was oh, really wow. cool, and Metallica killed it for like two hours, man. It was one of the most amazing shows I've ever seen. I probably because you were so close, and it was just you know. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the Black Album, right? This was yeah. Well, you know, it was right after Hetfield burned his because he was not playing guitar. He oh wow, the guy from Metal Church. I forget the guy's name. Filling in, I've seen that on YouTube. Right. Mm-hmm. So he was just singing, and then Guns N' Roses. You know, it's this huge double bill. Now it's Guns N' Roses, Mile High, the old Mile High, Mile High Stadium. So wait, Guns N' Roses were the headliner? Well, they I, I don't know if they... On they, the would, tour, they would switch. Or mm-hmm. not, but Metallica was first the time I saw them. Okay. Um, now, equal set times. They didn't, you know, there wasn't... Mm-hmm. I think the opener was actually Ice-T's body count. Oh, wow. Yeah. At that time. Yeah. Cop killer. Cops everywhere. And, oh, you know, man, dude. Another mess, but... Um, Axel came... No, he didn't come out. He uh, Guns N' Roses came out and Duff sang, like, a song. Wow. Cool. All right. We're waiting on Axel. Duff sings another song. Cool. We're waiting on Axel. Third song. Now you're starting to get the booze, right? Yeah. Because Duff is, is singing three songs. Mm-hmm. Axel finally comes out after like the third song. All right. Cool. Uh, his microphone is feeding back. And it's annoying. You hear this. Yeah. It's awful. You know, terrible. And he says something and it feeds back again. He throws it down on the stage and, and, and leaves, right? Um, and Slash goes into a guitar solo. They went on for like 10 minutes. The band just stood up there and jammed like 10 minutes with, with Slash just riffing. And now half the stadium is left. You know, I mean, people are just like, enough, enough, you know. And with their history, you know. Yeah. So that was it. And, and you know, half the crowd is gone. And he finally comes back out. And the piano comes up out of the stage. And he goes to, I think there was Patience, right? And he says something about... Well, everything's fucking going wrong. He goes, but we're here for the fucking duration anyway. Oh, my God. And he starts playing the song. He does, I'm not kidding, they did maybe three more songs. No encore left. That was it. So I saw, you know, Duff do just as many songs. So was Duff singing Guns N' Roses songs? I, no, I don't remember. I don't It wasn't songs yeah. I recognized. It was probably cover right. songs yeah, or something like that, right? I oh, my God. I, mean, I couldn't even tell you what they were. Ugh. Yeah. I mean, the legacy of Guns N' Roses, now that they're back together, though, but I mean, they, the Chinese democracy and, like, Years of recording, years of walking out on shows and stuff like that. I mean, it seems as if he may, maybe him breaking his foot was the best thing in a way. Because now he can't. You know what I mean? <laughs> you, somebody wheel me off this stage. You know what I mean? Like, right, but um, yeah, I, I may go to that show. I'm still, I'm still debating. But um, there's look, there's no questioning 
how huge that record was or how big that band was. There's no question. They, they were the big. I mean, like them coming back. I mean, was you know phenomenal. And you know, hopefully, I mean, the thing that's crazy I, as I read that Slash, the band is actually playing tracks off Chinese Democracy, like wow. at their shows. Huh. So I think that Slash wrote some of those songs, right. you know, like before they disbanded in the mid '90s, and now they're picking up where they left off. We'll see. The review will come in. We'll listen to you on the radio. Yeah, right. You know, people yeah. will probably be chiming in. Hopefully, yeah. Axel, you know, he makes it to the 50 yard line. I'll probably be there, but it would be more for for work. So uh, Aerosmith, um, you, you yeah, used to catch them uh, each yeah. time, right? So yeah. I have I've read in the news that they are um, contemplating. Ending the the band. Uh, Stephen Thomas doing a solo. He's doing thing, a solo right? tour, he's but coming it, to the tower. Yeah, think, yeah. yeah. In the summer in the fall. Um, but for, they've been together. Oh God, forever. Right? Long time, but yeah. th- some people are saying that they're going to do like one more tour, and that'll be it. Yeah. yeah. But well, I mean, hopefully, if they say they're going to do one more tour, that's it. There's nothing worse than the kiss thing. Yeah. Like, they just keep going and going and going. <laughs> Our last chance. The last chance to see us ever. Gene Simmons has to stop. Like I mean, like he just made all these these comments about uh, NWA getting into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, right. and look, rock and roll is it's like a it's an adjective to yeah. describe something. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not a genre no more. It's yeah. an attitude. You got it. And NWA, yeah. you know, really put that type of like that music on the map, and like he's got to stop that yeah. man. You know, like my father had met him at a, a Atlantic City convention. Uh, they were at this casino or whatever, and he charged five hundred bucks for an autograph yeah, and a photo. He's all about the money, man. He own, he actually owns the um. Are you you know you know like when you see like I don't think there's even an emoji for it, but like the bag of money with the dollar sign. He right. owns that that image. Yeah. So anytime somebody uses that, he collects a royalty That's from ridiculous. it, and it's just like what, but. Right. Um, so, like all these bands, you know, in the seventies and then the eighties, Guns N' Roses and stuff like that. I mean. Radio, I guess, changed in 1991 with the introduction of Nirvana. Yeah. What can you tell us uh, about that? Because as everyone knows out there in the Bobcast world, I am a huge Nirvana yeah, fan. Yeah, no, Nirvana changed everything, dude. Mm-hmm. Nirvana changed everything. Um, I still remember spinning Nirvana for the first time, and it was actually part of a syndicated show that Oedipus from WBCN in Boston used to send out to stations nationwide. It was called New Music Exclusives, I still remember. Um, and uh, the first time I heard Nirvana was... Um, was Love Buzz on Bleach, and it was it was released on on this new music show. And I remember thinking, "Wow, this is cool. This mm-hmm. is kind of cool," but nothing like Nevermind. When when Nevermind came out, and we first got that at the, the station, I still remember my PD. You know, there's a picture in there, Kurt Cobain flipping you off when you yeah. open it up. Mm-hmm. And I remember him saying at the time, "Why would I play any record where as soon as I open it up, the guy's flipping me off?" Yeah, I'm like, no, you gotta listen to this. I took this home last night. This is friggin' amazing. You have to listen to this. Uh, and we eventually added it, and that was that was it, man. Music changed. What format did it come in? It come in a record or a tape? Or? It was co- compact disc, yes. Compact disc, well. Yeah. Um, but remember, at the time, it was it was hair band central, man. Hair band the, central. The record companies had gone on a tear, and mm-hmm. if you looked like Poison, they would sign you. Every <laughs> band in L.A. that had long hair and makeup got signed. Do you remember all the bands? So many bands. You probably don't even remember anymore, like Wasp and yeah. Steelheart and White Lion and, you know, it was just anybody yeah. that had that image mm-hmm. got signed. They were, you know, and good for all those bands that, that made a few bucks, you know, that, that got deals. But that was the state of music at the time, and it was, I, I thought it was a sad state i was a huge fan I'm, i mean you have your guilty pleasures yeah definitely you know? guilty pleasures yeah, but at the same like time i mean i thought music was just in a bad place at the time it was yeah 
and like 1991, the year that punk broke again, yeah. I guess, if you will. I mean, I was uh, 11. I never forget picking up the single at Sam Goody down here at the Plymouth Meeting yeah. Mall, listening to it, and just the sonic texture of it is just amazing. You know, like I was just blown away by the sound. Um, yeah, when I was living in Los Angeles, I was working at a Starbucks, and I would do like the 5 a.m. to 1.30 shift. Right. It sucked. Because I'd be up all night with a Downtown Harvest recording or whatever. So one day I'm, I'm serving a coffee. I get this grande latte with like sugar-free vanilla. And I hand it off. And it's Butch Vig. And uh, I, I immediately recognized him because I was a huge fan of you know Garbage and his production of Nevermind. He sat and chatted with me for about like 5-10 minutes yeah, about the cool. album. And he's super cool, man. Garbage is coming, I think, here to Philadelphia yeah, soon. But yeah, uh, yeah. that's... um. Something I guess I'll never forget, and I'm kind of waiting for it to happen again. Yeah, you know, and it may. You no, never know. It has to. That came out of nowhere. I mean, it, you know, history w will show that it's going to happen again. But I, you know, you just never know when it's going to happen. I, I still remember the first time I heard that the record, even before we got it at the station, and I didn't know what it was. Mm -hmm. Somebody, had, uh, we had some buddies in. in I was uh, in Steamboat up in the mountains in Colorado bunch of ski bumps and we had some buddies come in from san diego and they had gotten out uh, you know they were a little bit ahead of the curve so they yeah. had the record it was already being played out there and um they threw it on at a party we were having wow and i remember one of the guys talking about one of his favorite i can't even remember the name of the band he was telling me but for the whole night i thought it was some other band that he yeah. had told me about and i was like man this is really good you know and i kept thinking and the next day i went out looking all over the place for this record yeah. right found what I thought it was, took it home, put it in, and I was like, no, this is not the band. What was it? I can't remember. It was some punk band that he was big into, and the whole night I thought it was yeah. because he had t spent you know a better part of the day talking about some other band. See, that's the struggle that kids will never know today. I mean, you had a chance to find out what that song was yeah. on the radio. Yeah. There was no you know iTunes like listing no, or anything. Yeah, like, and there was no place yeah. to search it. There was no yeah. you know if a friend told you what a record was, you better remember. You better remember exactly. Right. I remember as a kid, like I used to tape off the radio, you know, play and record the two buttons at yeah. once. And sometimes there would be the song. I'm like, man, I love this song. I didn't know idea who these people yeah. are, you know. Or if they didn't backsell it. You know, WDRE they, was really famous for that. They wouldn't tell you anything. Tell like, you Here, here's a song, <laughs> you know, like. You know, but um, and you spend three days trying to figure out what that song was. Yeah, you know, yeah. I miss that though, in yeah. a way. You know, I mean, everything's yeah. so accessible now, and I, I feel as if I, I miss that struggle. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I miss being able to consume music in that type of organic fashion, whereas today it's just kind of like, right. you know, you know it, exactly who they are. You know their image. Yeah. You know, you know who they are. You know each band member. You know, and you know you can probably find it for free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just the, the thing too. Is, is kind of, yeah. I, I mean, I still love buying. CDs, you know what I mean? I love getting, I love looking inside the artwork. I, I love like looking to see where it was recorded and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And I mean, hopefully they figure a new way out. I, I had read something that U2 is going to do some sort of like holographic, like iPad, like the album comes out of your iPad right. and you can use it and like, you know, manipulate it. And yeah. it'd be cool if like if somebody put out an album perhaps maybe and you could actually like remix it or something yeah. like that. That'd be yeah. cool. But um, yeah, like as the 90s progressed, you know, your, your radio career, you, you, um, did you go to a couple of different radio stations, or for a few? Yeah, yeah, for a few. Like back then, again, it, it, radio's changed quite a bit, and now major market stations are really the only ones that are staffed. Mm -hmm. You know, with any significant number of people. Back in the day, you know, a, a little 
hippie station in Colorado was was staffed around the clock. Mm -hmm. There was somebody there 24, you know, 7, answering the phone and wow. playing music because you had to press the buttons. Yeah. Everything's automated now. So that coming up that way really doesn't exist anymore. Now you kind of have to intern at a larger station because those little stations now are run by a computer. Yeah. And, you know, and if there's a DJ on there, it's because he recorded his show that morning in 25 minutes. Wow. You know, and the computer's playing back his voice tracks. Um but you would, if you if you had success in a small market, you would send you would send a resume and a cassette of your show mm -hmm. off to uh, you know there used to be a trade magazine called Radio and Records, mm -hmm. and in the back were the help wanted, and you would send it off to you know uh, MMS in Cleveland is looking for a night oh, jock, wow. and you would send a tape with a resume, and cross your fingers, you know ninety nine point nine percent of the time it just you, know, you never heard a, a word. you never heard of anything right it was a lot of who you knew. Uh, a lot of luck. Mm -hmm. I suppose it, it, a, a lot like, you know, look, there's there's only so many jobs. Mm -hmm. There's a handful of jobs and then 10,000 people that want that handful of jobs. Wow. So it's a lot like being in a band. It's like, you know, yeah. it's, there's this many bands, but really there's only this much space. So Somebody can make it. Yeah, yeah. so you got to have some talent, but, uh, you know, when you get to a certain point, everyone's talented. They're all good, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so then you got to have a little luck and you got to, you, you know, it's who you know. But I bounced around. I worked in... Um, Places like Rapid City, South Dakota, Springfield, Missouri, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, Clear Lake, um, Providence. Providence was the was the first, and it's a, the funny story is the guy I work for now was mm -hmm. the guy that hired me in Providence. Wow! Um, and I went from Springfield, Missouri, uh, to Providence, Rhode Island, which was a pretty big jump market size yeah. wise. You know, Providence was a decent sized city. I like Providence. We played there once. Yeah, yeah. it's a great city. Great we played city. this place, uh, Newport Jazz Street. Cafe. It was called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we we, we loved it. Yeah, it was a great cool. time. Um, and that was one of those things where, you know, I, I really got to see how much luck is involved because I sent a tape and then w one day, like, God, it must've been three months. Mm -hmm. I'd forgotten I'd even sent it there. I get a phone call. Hey, this is, uh, Bill Weston at, uh, in Providence. How you doing? I'm like, holy, what? Hi. Yeah. <laughs> right. We'd like to fly you up for an interview. I'm like, okay, cool. So they flew me up and I saw... Um, the box of tapes he had on his desk and it dude there was like 200 tapes that's awesome 200 tapes for this 7 to midnight job right there's one job it's like 200 tapes and resumes there I'm like how the hell did mine make it out of here yeah and it's just one of the ones he listened to and got lucky and uh, landed that job and then when you get into the larger markets you're networking it's a lot better. yeah it's a lot easier to you know so what was like a like a resume tape like back then was it just Killed from like your your date your show. Yeah, it'd be about four or five minutes. We call it scoped. Um, yeah. You know, a scoped tape, which means the, 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 the only when the mic is on, you're not recording the music. You know. Um, so all the banter you, in between. Like, yeah. So yeah. you would have an air check machine that basically would only turn on. It was only activated when your microphone went on, so you could record your shows. Okay. I don't even know if we have that anymore. Um, nowadays, computers record three weeks worth of shows and keep oh, them locked somewhere in a hard drive. You know. But you used to hit the mic and the, the cassette would start rolling and record you. And you would find five minutes of your best stuff yeah. and piece it together. And when I say piece it together, that's back when you used to have to cut, cut tape, the tape, reel to reel, mm -hmm. you know, China markers and a little piece of tape. And then dump it onto cassettes and mm -hmm. make a resume and just start sending them out, you know. That's and awesome. that was how you jumped in market size. And again, once you got to the bigger markets, your networking got a lot better because, you know, if, there's, if, you're, if you're working in Boston mm -hmm. and there's an opening in Philly... Your tape's going to get looked at a lot quicker being a major market 
you know. And then Northeast Corridor. Yeah, in the Northeast Corridor. Uh, compared to, you know, some guy who's applying from Lusk, Wyoming. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> They're going to go, yeah, no. <laughs> he's, he's probably not even going to get listened to. So, so so this job was one of the larger ones that you got then, once you, like once you got into like the Northeast? Well, once I got into uh, Providence, uh, that's when I made the jump back to Denver. I mm-hmm. finally got back to Denver, and then all I wanted to do was get back to these guys. Get back, so okay. I came back, came back to Providence, and within six months they had sold my station. Um, and so then I went to work in Boston for mm-hmm. FNX, which was uh, one of the very first alternative stations in the country. What was that like? Um, Awesome. Yeah. It's a legendary station. Not huge ratings, not legendary in the, in the um, you know, number of listeners, but legendary in the influence they had. You know, they were they were like the first East Coast alternative station. You had K-Rock in L.A. Yeah. And you had FNX in, mm-hmm. in Boston, and they were one of the first, very first alternative stations. So it was, it was pretty cool. How long did you spend there? Uh, a couple of years, maybe. And then from there, I went to... Salt Lake City, Utah. Wow. Did mornings for, um, for or afternoons for a rock station out there. And then from Salt Lake, I went through a period where I said, I'm done with this. I'm done with radio. I'm done bouncing around the country because in Salt Lake, they changed the format and fired everybody. That's just kind of how radio works, you know. What kind yeah. of form? Where did they go from? Uh, they went from uh, um, kind of a active slash classic rock, kind of a heavy station yeah. to um, like... Um, Adult contemporary. How do they do? Why, like, I mean, the, in private parts, and uh, yeah. I just watched uh, Daddy's Home. Yeah, <laughs> they're like they go into like you know they change the format. Why do they change it so much like that? Is it just because they're looking it's for money? It's money. money. They're trying to make money. Yeah, yeah they, they flip. They, they flip for ratings. They're like, yeah. well, you know, a lot of companies were just flipping just to flip because anything new and shiny will pull ratings for a year. And that brings a lot of advertisers, and then when it starts to die off, flip it again. Flip it again. Um, so you know that. I, I, that it happened. They they always say you haven't worked radio until you've been fired three or four times, and that was about my third or fourth time. Um, and it's never usually you. It's either a conflict with them. Yeah. With uh, yeah, sometimes it can be a conflict with your program where you don't see eye to eye, or, yeah. or sometimes they just change formats and they blow everybody out. Um, and so I was like, you know what? I'm done. I'm done. I'm done with this. What do I want to do? I was like, you know what? I'm going to go back to the mountains. So I went back to Steamboat Springs, where mm-hmm. it all started. The very first station I worked for. And a guy that used to work part-time was now the general manager. He's like, I will hire you tomorrow, but I can only give you this much money. Yeah. <laughs> it was nothing. I was like, done. Mm-hmm. Done. And I was there for six months, and I got the call from Philadelphia. Let's talk about that. So that would yeah. come completely full circle. Right. Back I decided I was going to just go back to being a ski bum, right? Yeah. This before I got married, before I uh, had my son. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, you know, I'm just going to be a ski bum, man. I'm happy. I'm, I'm tired of bouncing around the country. I'm tired of doing this, you know. Now, how, how did they get your tape? Was your tape already in Philadelphia because of... No, Bill Weston, the guy who worked for him for okay. So he knows. He knows where I've been. He's okay. followed me around. Mm-hmm. We're still friends. We still talk on the phone here and there. And he, he takes this big gig at MMR Philadelphia, Heritage Station, you know, 46, 47 years old. What year is this? Um, this was 2004. Okay, wow. 2004. Wow. And... Um, yeah, he said, uh, I want to fly you out for an interview. I'm like, Whew. Here I go again. I, well, I had to think about it. I really had to think about it. Yeah. And the guy I was with uh, in uh, the little station I was you know, just playing around with out in, in Steamboat, the guy was like, you really want to get back into that racket, man? He's like, or do you want to live out here in the mountains and mountain bike and camp and ski? Mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't know, man. I said, I got to go out there and at least talk to him. I, gotta, I said, I got to fly out and at least talk to him. 
and that was it. And that was that was history right there. Yeah, and that's how I ended up here. So ninety three point three MMR. I mean, I remember as a kid. I think it was like one of my first memories is actually seeing the billboard on 76 yeah. in that really bubbly looking font yeah. and just thinking this is like, the, like as a kid, I was like, this is a radio station and it's all over the world, right. you know? Yeah. Uh, everyone knows who, you know, they are, uh, pioneers of, of rock music and just great broadcasting. What was your first day like there? First day, nerve wracking. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to understand the the just how big of a radio station that MMR is. Sometimes I've been there so long now that, that you, you have to sometimes remind yourself how fortunate you are to be to be working there because I'll give you a quick example. When we were in um, for a couple of years there we went to Ireland for St. Patrick's Day to do a broadcast. Yeah, I remember listening to Jameson. Yeah. yeah. Right? And there are stations, there's they call it the global broadcast. So there are stations from all over the world there. Right? Mm-hmm. And there's probably 25, 30 stations from the US and then and then elsewhere. And you know, so you're meeting all these other air personalities from around the world, and as soon as they would say, "Where do you work?" and I tell you, "I work for MMR in Philadelphia," everybody's jaws drops, their eyes get big, and they're just like, "How did you get that job?" Awesome. It's because we're one of the last standing. There was a time, you know, when there were legendary stations like this all over the country. You know, any big city had one, mm-hmm. right? They're all gone, man. They're all gone or automated, mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, thanks to a union, the SAG after union for, for keeping, you know, MMR live and local 24-7, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's huge. Um, we're really one of the last few standing. Yeah. There's maybe three or four stations like MMR left in the country. So it's uh, it's a pretty big deal. And so my first day there was like, holy shit, mm-hmm. this is, you know... Was the office this, when you, you first started? In, in my career, that was the pinnacle of success. Yes. When you get to a top five market or a, a legendary radio station, that is the pinnacle of success. That is everything you've spent your entire career working for. That picture on that wall blows me away because my mother had that on our wall when I was that a kid. One? This tree, one right here in the lounge? Okay. So he's looking at this picture here in the my lounge. My mother had that when so, I was a kid. So here's the crazy part about this picture. I'll tell you a little story. This picture... Sorry when I, get off No, no. I we do it all the time. We do it like, all the time. We do it all the time. That picture, when I bought my house, I came in to look at it. You know, my wife said, well, what do you think about this place, Bob? I was like, oh, it's pretty nice. Nice big backyard. I really like this picture on the wall. Tell them we'll buy the house if they throw that in. So that's not mine. That's from the previous owners. And when I saw it, I was just like, you know what? That's just... It just brought back up just a wave of... Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've I've considered even getting that as a tattoo. I mean, I just like the image so much, but... um, I used to stare at it as a kid and just, like, look at all the branches and see things in it. Yeah, yeah. It's a great, great image. Um, so anyway, yeah, so <laughs> that's okay. So the first day, uh, uh, most of what I got, and this is, and again, this is, uh, we'll go back to technology kind of just popping up all around yeah. you so much that you don't even realize it. Now we have text. We have a, a computer screen where people text us from their phones and, you know, we instant feedback. If I play a song that somebody doesn't like, I will hear about it 50 times yeah. like that. Like that. Right. People, this sucks. This sucks. This sucks. Or vice versa. Um, back then all we had was the phone. Yeah. Even, even. 12 years ago, all we had was a phone. But every time I answered the phone, and you would probably know this, you sound like friggin' Grease Man. <laughs> Everybody thought I sounded like Grease Man, who apparently was syndicated in this market yeah. for, for a while. Mm-hmm. And so I once I got past six months of comparisons to my voice sounding like the Grease Man, uh, then things kind of smoothed out. Yeah. 
Six months of that? Oh, yeah. Six and months. So even there was internet trolls existing in 2004 just in oh, a yeah. different shape and form. Oh, yeah. I, you know, that's the one thing I never understand about the internet in general is just that people only voice the negative stuff. Yeah. I mean, not everyone. But, I mean, the majority of stuff you see on Twitter, this sucks, this yeah. sucks, this sucks, he shouldn't have said this, she said... Like, it gets to a certain point where it's just like, man, can we just be a little bit more positive? Yeah. And then, look, you know, it's like... Um, uh, when I interviewed here, I interviewed with, with a few different people, and one of the guys, I still remember him telling me this. He's like, look, because I don't know how familiar you, you are with Philadelphia. He goes, but they don't like change. And he goes, but I'll tell you this much. He goes, if you get in, you're in for life. He mm-hmm. goes, if you don't, you're going to be gone in a year. And he yeah. goes, that's all I can tell you. He goes, if you get in, you'll be here forever. I was like, okay. So well, that first year was a lot of like that replaying in my head over and I gotta over do again. a good job, right? You, gotta, you know, you gotta gotta make a connection with these people. You gotta mm-hmm. you gotta do something. So you know, you just try to be yourself and do what you do and, and hope it takes. And it took, you know, when I got here, um the the show I took over was like twelfth in like twelfth place. Wow. And, you know, now it's consistently number one, you know, in our demos every year. Were you doing the same shift? Were you at... Uh, 3 to 7. 3 to 7, Three to seven. which is awesome, by the right. way. I love that. That, that works. Kind of, shift right I mean, it's a, another one of the selling points yeah. when I left the Are you kidding me? <laughs> Wait a second. I can go back to, like, sleeping in and yeah. staying out late, Yeah. which, you know, was excellent when it came to mm-hmm. the, the whole scene there that we had for a while. And that's the thing that we're going to talk about next, is yeah. that you you became, you know, the 3 to 7 host, but you single-handedly kind of created your own rock and roll scene with the yeah, Local Shot series. Cool. I wouldn't say single-handedly, I just kind of led the charge. You it led was, the charge. You had a lot of help, but you, you were, you know, I mean, for, at least for me, I mean, like I said at the beginning of this podcast, you were the first person to ever play our stuff on the radio. I remember that moment, yeah. sitting in the car, I was in my mom's car because I didn't have a radio at the time in my hoopty. And I, I remember just being like, yes, you know what I mean? Like, it was like the defining moment. Yeah. But you, you, you helped so many other bands. Yeah. And, I mean... That was, um, you know, it was... Interesting time. It was a tough sell. Yeah. It was a really tough sell to the radio station. Mm-hmm. Um, we had this idea. Um, I went down to see, I think it was G-Love. Um, it was a surprise show at Grape Street. Mm-hmm. One night at, like, midnight. And I met Joe Cahill mm-hmm. um, down at uh, Grape Street. And he was like, yeah, you know, why, why 100 does a... a local music night down yeah. here and I'm like he goes but he goes you know I'm thinking of just making a change you want to do something different and, and I think the, the, it was kind of um, in the air that the Y100 was going to go away or that yeah. they were purchased by a company that wasn't going to keep I can't even remember how it went down I remember that yeah yeah but uh, I said and the first um, he said why don't you come back check out one of our local nights mm-hmm. and see what you think and I'd like to talk to you about maybe hosting a night down here I was like that'd be great man I love it um, and I came down, and the first night, I think I saw Ike, right? Mm-hmm. So John Faye gets up there and just blows me away. I'm like, holy shit, if this is the level of talent in this city, mm-hmm. sold, right? Now, <laughs> my first night, I got to see John Faye, who, you know, amongst his peers, is, you know, one of the most talented guys in the city. But, um, yeah, I said, yeah, let's do it. Let's put something together. So we got something together through the radio station, and, and we decided to do a, a weekly uh, event of local music and we would we would support that on the air we would plug those shows and we would we'd get people into this club and then I went back to him and I said you know just saying a band's name on the air is is not going to be enough if you want this to be successful we need to play these bands now I'm talking to a major market radio station saying I would like to play unknown bands mm-hmm. on the air not on a Sunday night at 9 o'clock where stations hide that shit yeah. I want to put it at, you know, 5 o'clock in the afternoon and drive time on one of the biggest stations in the country. Mm-hmm. And they said, no. 
And I came back and I asked again, and they said, no. Right? And I just wouldn't let up. I just wouldn't let I was relentless with it. And I brought him, uh, David Ivory handed me a Hailstorm EP. Mm-hmm. And I brought him Hailstorm. And I said, you got to hear this band. This chick rocks. I want to play this. Right? And they're playing this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the grape. I want to play this to, to get people out there. And they, now, now I've gotten them as far as putting the CD in the player. Mm-hmm. They put it in. They listen to it. And, they, you know, and I still give Bill shit to this day. And whenever I interview Hailstorm, I always make sure he's standing there and bring it up because you know they're huge. Yeah. And I say, you know, he he says, yeah, that's just not MMR. It just doesn't really fit what we do. I was like, you got it. It was tough, dude. And I yeah. found it so. Eventually, I broke them down, and they were like, all right, look, you can play a band once a week the night before the show you're going to do. You know, so if we were doing our, I think we started on Tuesday nights. Tuesday nights. Yes, yeah, so maybe it was Monday night. I would play it. I mm-hmm. can't even remember, but. You can play one of the bands that's going to appear the next night to help drive the show. Big risk, but we're going to let you do it, and you're going to put it in drive time. Okay. But everything has to be approved through the music director. Son of a bitch. <laughs> All right, well, we've taken it a step farther, right? Mm-hmm. We've gotten it to this point. But then everything I took, no. No, I don't think so. No, I don't like that. No, that's not MMR. No. This went on forever until finally I think they just got sick of seeing me. Right, mm-hmm. and we're like, all right, we trust you now. Just pick the stuff you want to play. So I tried to stick to really format-friendly kind of stuff, and then eventually it just it opened up, and yeah. I was just playing everything. I mean, I was playing Grind City. You Grind know, City, I, man. Yeah, I would play. You know, we would play rap. We would play yeah. blues. We would play on MMR in drive time. I haven't thought because about that. We could do that because it was the it was a specialty thing. This is uh, we're, we're doing a local music night, and so you know we play. Uh, remember Laura Lee, like yeah. folky stuff. We play. Um, and we do it once a week, and that was big, man. That was huge. It's huge. We're getting a lot of it's huge for bands. For yeah, yeah. I mean, and that I think is what sparked, um, helped to spark that whole four or five years there where things just blew up. Yeah, it was a good time. Yeah, because you know we, you tell these stories now, and people they, they look at you kind of like, oh, listen to the old timer telling the stories. But mm-hmm. First off, it wasn't that long ago. No. Uh, and, and second, it's true, man. We would, on a Tuesday night, have 250, 300 people Pack at the club it. every single week. Yeah. And people go, you never had 300 people. Yes, we did. Every we did. Yeah. week. And I still remember meeting with the Grape Street and them going, you know what we'd like to do? If we can get this puppy to 350, you know, then we can start, you know, making money and putting more money back into it, you know. And people go, 350 on a Tuesday night? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we did it. And this was at the old Grape Street, or the not old the, the well, old new Grape Street. Yeah, new I'm so confused with that. 40, like, I, 4100 Main Street, where yeah. Mad River is now. Like, that, I love right? playing there, though. Yeah. I love that back room. Great room. Yeah. Great. I mean, Scooter did the yeah. the sound on stage, yeah. and like, yeah. I just remember like feeling like a you know an arena rock band up there. You know, 26 years old that playing. Such a great club. Oh, yeah. It was perfect because like you had the rock and roll room, if you will, the concert room, but yeah. then you had the the, the dance hip hop room, which was you know there's not many clubs out there that. I don't think any club does that on Philadelphia now, but I mean, there's so much talent to come out of Philadelphia, and then not only would you play them, but you would you would also bring them on the air. I, I came, we did a, the Golden Dragon release party, That's and right. I remember we came to the radio station. We came in. Where you guys came. We it was the first. On the air. Yeah, it was the first time I ever like spoken on the on the radio and stuff, and I was like, yeah, I, I can see myself doing this too. Years later, do the Bobcast, but uh, and I just kept pushing, just kept yeah. pushing the envelope, and it it went from no, you can't play them to yes, you can play them with approval. To go ahead and 
you know, try to keep it format friendly to, okay, play whatever you want. To when, then, then I was doing interviews and having bands come in and perform live. Yeah. Right? And that was... I remember hearing that, yeah. Having bands it was awesome. And actually perform like an acoustic number on mm-hmm. the air. And uh, it was a, it was a, it was a big. Uh, That's actually one of the posters right there next to the. It's Jackson's local shots, the Stone Throne oh, CD yeah, release party, with the Moxie Downtown Harvest Oso and yeah. uh, DJ Shy Scruffington. Yeah. Rest in peace. But I mean, like, there were so many great like things happening in the, in the city then. Yeah. You know, like. Um, People ask about it, and I say the, the the big thing we had was you know obviously a powerhouse like MMR behind it. Um. But we still lead that charge. We still do that. But the thing that was different then was there was unity. Community, yeah. Unity totally. in the community. Mm-hmm. And I used to preach it and preach it and preach it. And I, mm-hmm. I would say it until I was, you know, blue in the face. And that if you want this scene to be successful, you all have to be a part of it. You have to work together. You have to work together. And it, even mm-hmm. then, there were, like, these rags that were writing just terrible things about our night and what we were doing. And I got down at Grape Street and I was just this pop crap and, you know, yeah, they would people shilling this garbage. And it's like... Look at us, you know, we only play Johnny Brenda's or Silk City or, you know, and it was like, dude, you have eight people at your show on a Friday. Yeah. You know why you have eight people at your show? Not because you're indie and cool, because your band sucks. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a reason there's 300 people at the Grape Street. Definitely. And, right? you know, I mean, the you one know, thing. These were the people that wanted to be involved in that. And, and we found that bands came out and supported bands. And that was mm-hmm. the biggest thing. So. A band would play, and all the other bands that were part of the scene mm-hmm. came out to see them. And then fans would come out. Let's say I'm, let's say I'm a fan of Downtown Harvest, yeah. right? And um, Jealousy Curve is playing at Grape Street back in the day. But I know Downtown Harvest is going to be there, even though they're not playing. Mm-hmm. I know all the guys from Downtown Harvest could be there, and I'm a huge Downtown Harvest fan. So now fans are following the bands. And that's what it was. We got bands yeah. out to see bands, and mm-hmm. fans followed the bands. And it, it blew up. I think that that's a, it's paramount. Any case, I mean, still today, if there's a band listening to this podcast, if you have a rival band that's that's yeah. that's trailing you, do yourself a favor, become friends with these guys, yeah. work together. Yeah. Because I think inherently, not all musicians, but some, it's a sense of uh, competition, yeah. and really there is no competition because you're all striving for the same goal. Right. And if you guys, you know, you know, it's like a what in that Planet of the Apes movie where he takes all the pencils and he can't break them together I mean like that's what you really need and I remember that distinctive feeling the first band that I hit it off was Still Aside and like these guys were just like so much fun like Chris Lee like you know he's a great guitar player and he had a great sense of humor you know and like every show every show they came out and supported all the other bands and and it was just great being you know I mean I, I enjoyed that sense of camar- like being with other musicians who are, are looking f- the, for the same thing and extreme talent across the board. And, and I remember you would catch grief like if you were if you were still aside for example and didn't show up on a Thursday night the next yeah. Thursday night everybody would go where what were the you? hell where were you yeah where were you, you? Know? yeah and and you know some of those nights were stuff of legend the ones I can remember <laughs> yeah I remember. Um, I remember one that was just, I think Don McCluskey played, yeah. and he had the megaphone, and like he staged, he was up on the on the monitors on the side, yeah. and like the place was just erupting, man, yeah. like, uh, it's a shame that, it, that there's, I, I'd love to see more video of that, like when you go back, I mean, people didn't have cell phones then to capture yeah. everything, you know, like back then when you look at a concert, you see somebody with a SLR digital yeah. camera, yeah. you don't see the pool of, you know, lights going up, yeah. and I mean, that was kind of cool too, and the fact that people actually 
you know, they listened rather than, you know, yeah, because a a lot of people now are more concerned with capturing the moment Mm -hmm. rather than experiencing the moment, you know, and I remember that distinctly being up there on that stage and just being like, wow, this is, this is something special. So I I was devastated to find out that the the Grape Street was closing. Were you there that night when they, they just announced on a Friday night, like, this is it? And it was kind of, you know, I still have a closet full of stuff that I tore off the walls down there, like Scooter and and those guys were just like, take what you want, man, this is it. I was there the last night. I was there the the night they closed. So you were there for that big jam on the stage, right, Martin? Yeah, we did. And and when they pulled the plug on it, and it was like, I stood up there and looked around the room and I saw, you know, people were tearing stuff down off the walls, just trying to get a keepsake and, I remember thinking, oh, man, this is the beginning of the end. Yeah. We need this venue. I know. We need it's a shame. Venue. And we tried. Now, look, Doc Watson's that era was yeah. great. So that was, was post Grape Street. Post I mean, Grape Street. So love that room, too. Much smaller Total room. punk rock, CB, yeah. you know, GB, like, you know. Dirty kind of dirty, dirty vibe. Yeah. yeah. You know, you had to go up a nasty flight of stairs. Yep. And bands had to <laughs> haul that stuff up that nasty Put your, put your merch next to the pool table. Yeah. Hope someone just, sees it. You know, but it was a dirty rock club. Packed. It was great. Packed. Yeah. That smell of sweat, too, when you walk in, just like people just have... So we had many successful years there, Mm -hmm. too. Um, And then, you know, we tried to... We did Dobbs for a little bit, and Mm -hmm. it was was cool. It never had the the same vibe as the Great Street or Docs had. And then we were at the Grape Room for a short time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the Grape Room was honestly was doing, the Scooters Club, mm-hmm. was honestly doing so well on its own for such a small room. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like they needed to to uh, spend any extra money or do anything for promotion. So, um, yeah, so now, you know, we're, we're still leading the charge. We're still, we, we do something a little different now. Instead of playing a different band every week, um, now we do the artist of the month. So we yep. pick a local band and we spotlight them for an entire month. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and you can see that on the website, right? right. Like under your, the Jackson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, they get a spin every week for the entire month and they get, uh, it's awesome. Yeah. We put streaming music up on the website and mm-hmm. things have changed, man, but you know, we're still out there trying. No, that's good. You know, you know and this was, uh, we, we talk about, you know, we worked hard on the scene, but we played harder. And, and I remember the days of being in clubs Five, six nights a week. Mm-hmm. I lived in those places. Mm-hmm. Lived in those places. Knew everyone. Lived in clubs. But we get married. We have kids. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I can't do that anymore. Uh-huh. Life is so busy now. It's like I, I struggle to find a night to go see a band. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've got a lot of young up and comers at the radio station that are continuing to like lead that church. Brent Porsche is still, you know, mm-hmm. a big supporter of local music. Um, my producer Sarah is out there, you know, seeing shows left and right. Love that video yesterday uh, with the bread. What's up with that? Can you tell me? <laughs> I love that video. I must have watched like five times. I don't know. She was doing it. You know, Sarah does uh, a, a rock news segment uh-huh. on my show. And, and one year, she, or one year, uh, one day, like a week or two ago, she was talking about this huge classic rock festival. Uh-huh. She's like, and she's listening off the band Stones and The Who. And, and I was like, what about bread? She's like, Who? <laughs> I have no idea where it came from. Yeah. I was just thinking bread. I had this memory of like being in a friend's basement and seeing his dad's bread records, yeah. you know. And uh, she's like, who? <laughs> I was like, you've got to be kidding me. You have yeah. no idea who bread is. Yeah. So then I got pulled up on the laptop and I'm playing it. And she's just like, this is awful. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. It's good comedic So time. now every day I torture her with it. Oh, really? And, you know, by playing little clips of bread or mm-hmm. talking about bread. And she... Um, and I would say, you know, I need you to go home and ask your parents if they ever got it on bread. For all you know, you were conceived to bread. Everybody out there needs to listen to bread right, right. now. It's on the like they were like the slow rock, you know. It's a great song. <laughs> you know? I, 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 how could you not listen to that Every song? Every song they did was a ballad. And being and a good, you know. 
being miserable or breaking up or wanting a girl or yeah it appeals to you it, yeah. it's i mean i haven't heard it in a while and i heard it yesterday or like like last night on instagram i was like oh man i, I may have to download and some bread and you'd be surprised how many bread songs you know like you think yeah. you, know, you haven't heard mm-hmm. a single one you start hearing them and you're like oh, i know yeah, that one yeah, I, I know that, that one. can you play some bread on the air <laughs> but I was playing it in the studio yesterday That's awesome. in just the cue speaker. Yeah. And she took video of her not amused face watching me yeah, it was good. <laughs> in my Slayer t shirt bouncing around to bread. So um so you have this, this you have all these things that you're juggling, you're doing all sorts of different things, but one of the things that I noticed a couple years ago is you start kicking ass on the wild side. You start getting into Brazilian jiu jitsu. Right, right. You know, right. and like you this is something that like I, I've seen like what the last four years I guess three I've been four doing it probably about five years five years because I, I own a gym now yeah I actually so t- tell us about that um, I mean I wrestled all the way mm-hmm. probably from the time I was like seven years old all the way through high school so I was a wrestler I was a grappler loved it and then you know I was always involved in some sort of martial art um, through the years goofing around with stuff karate and taekwondo which you know in the end is great if you're fighting air or imaginary opponents but realistic self-defense um i started looking for something that would be you know mm-hmm. uh, effective and then i found krav maga through preston actually who who started taking krav maga oh, wow. with a guy who's now one of uh, our instructors ernie kirk works works out of our gym too um so i did krav maga with him for probably four or five years and then every time they would get into the ground stuff i would you know as a wrestler i would go Yo, what's this? What's this? Mm-hmm. Right? And they're like, oh, that's Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I'm like, like old UFC, like Hoist Gracie stuff, right? And they're like, yeah. So I started looking for school, and I found my instructor teaching out of this seedy basement in Bryn Mawr, right? Like no, mm-hmm. no heat, no AC. You walk down there, and there was just this nasty, mean-looking group of guys. I remember the first time I walked in there. I was like, this is it. But it looked it was like something out of a Rocky movie. And I was like, oh, oh, this, wow. this is kind of cool. I want to train here. Yeah. It's just seedy. Cut me, Mick. Cut me. Yeah, right. <laughs> And um, after training there for about two years, I, you know, jokingly one day said, you know, I'm going to open a school one day. I said, I think I'd like to do that, just mm-hmm. as a part-time hobby kind of thing. And my instructor was like, oh, you're going to compete against me, huh? I was like, no, I'm going to hire you. Nice. And um, he kind of laughed. And then about two days later, he called me. He said, hey, were you serious about that school thing? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, we should investigate that. Uh-huh. And um, we said, all right, maybe let's, let's plan on like a year from now opening up our own school mm-hmm. and because um, he was actually working under another guy raining space from another guy and we started looking around at properties and we found one within a month and that year turned into 30 days and we opened up uh, Mainline United Jiu Jitsu which is in Ardmore um, on Rittenhouse Place and we opened that up about three years ago so we've been there about three years wow. ago wow yeah. and where can they get information is there a website for uh, MainlineUnited.com yeah Wow. And, or you can find us on Facebook, too. W- would you be an instructor for students? Yeah, yeah. I teach kids. I'm the head kids instructor. And, That's awesome. Uh, and our, Steve, my partner, uh, is our head instructor, and he teaches all the adult classes, and then I cover adults when he's not there. And we also have another great instructor by the name of Jeff Hunt, who's just a beast. Um, but, yeah, it's great, man. That's fact, awesome. You know, the, thing, uh, the cool thing about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, when I say effective self-defense, um, is, like, for the first time in the history of martial arts, we have thanks to the UFC, and, and we have over 20 years of videotape. We have literally tens of thousands of fights mm-hmm. on tape. We know what works against mm-hmm. a resisting opponent. If you want to fight another 
person or, or, or defend yourself against another person. We know now what is effective because yeah. we have, you know, over 20 years of video. And we know that, you know, for striking, it's going to be boxing and Muay Thai. And for groundwork, it's going to be wrestling and jujitsu. These are the most effective ways to, to defend yourself or to go to combat. And, and, uh, and I think that's where I fell in love with jujitsu. That's just awesome. It's, it's, I didn't realize that uh, it's an all-ages type thing, too, where kids can learn. Kids, that's great. Yeah, it's, it's great because we run, like, a bully-proof program for kids. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, and it's a sport, you know, because you're not, when we practice, um, you know, you can add striking to the mix, but when we practice strictly Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, um, it's, uh, you know, basically getting your, it's submission grappling. You're getting your opponent into a position where he says, uncle, like, yeah, yeah. you're going to break my arm, you're going to break my leg, you're going to break my wrist, or you're mm -hmm. going to choke me unconscious, and you tap. Mm -hmm. And you get to start over and come back the next day and do it. So you can train it seven days a week against a resisting opponent uh, without, you know, you know, the occasional black guy. But without, if you were to pound on each other's faces every night, you know, wow. you're not going to come back the next day. That's awesome. So, yeah, it's great. It's a great sport. It's got a, a huge sport aspect to it. Lots of tournaments. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's good for kids. It's good for confidence. It's and it's fun. Yeah, it's fun. I used it's to take uh, is what it is, Taekwondo know? when I was like yeah. uh, the Karate Kid really influenced me. I yeah, like, sure. I got I got to go. Right. I had the I had the da, 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 effort. Yeah. What do you call that? You know, the little paddle thing with the balls to make the noise. Right. Had the headband. Yeah. I got all the way to brown belt right. senior. Right. And I got there's a thing called shark sparring. Right. Where it's a circle of people and you each get a number. Yeah. And when they call your number, you come out and you get a spar. They call my number and they call this other guy's number who looks like the equivalent of Ivan Drago teenager and he comes out and I'm, I'm hitting him I'm doing a really good job next thing you know I'm knocked out unconscious on the floor my right. mother's over me like Bob Bob are you there right. and uh, I was out man yeah. I was my first concussion and then after that I, I, I just my mom was like and I was so close to black belt but who knows maybe when I turn 40 I'll go back and get my black yeah, belt but I mean uh, the other thing that you're, you're popping off right now you just uh, you just had an event recently uh, Jackson's Jeep Club yeah yeah yeah, Jeeps were always something I was into. I had them growing up when I was younger, and I, I recently, um, with the getting married and having a kid, um, you know, it was like, oh, I'm going to buy another Jeep, I'm going to buy another Jeep, and then it was like, yeah, I it's tough to buy a Jeep with a kid. And then when the four-door came out, when the unlimited mm. came out, it was like, oh, now this is an easy sell. Yeah. The wife. yeah. yeah. No, no, there's room for a kid now. There's a <laughs> yeah, right. So I got back into Jeeps, and, uh, you know, they're just, it's a great hobby. They're fun to build. Yeah, it's awesome. They're just off-road beasts. He pulls up in my driveway this morning. It was like Batman getting out of this Jeep. It's got all sorts of, you know, decal. Yeah. It's They're impressive. Fun, you know, it's just a fun, it's a fun hobby, and you build them up, and you take them, take mm -hmm. them out and break them, and you break them and fix them and do fix it again. Yeah. So, so the event that you, like, tell everybody out there, like, what exactly it is, like, the terrain, like... Well, what, we started uh, a Jeep club through the station. I thought it would be cool to just start, uh, just like, just call it Jackson's Jeep Club, and we'll get a bunch of Jeep owners together, and we'll mm -hmm. create this little Facebook group, you know, and there, there are others in the city. There's, like, a group called 215, and there's another one called uh, Wicked, and we started um, this one, and we all work together on charities and, mm -hmm. and raising money for uh, the less fortunate. So it's a great group of people, uh, and then we do events, you know, where we'll just gather to sit around and BS, and you'll see 100 Jeeps in a parking lot, so it's just Jeep owners talking about awesome. Jeeps. Or... Like the one we just did, which was at uh, Rouse Creek Off-Road Park, which is like 3,000 acres up in the Poconos. Um, and uh, we just go out there in four-wheel. And, it, you know, it's it's the park is set up to where there's green, much like a ski resort, mm -hmm. green, blue, black, red. So, and a red would be equivalent of like double black. Mm -hmm. um, and so we have, you know, trails for every level. That's awesome. And then we, you know, we did a thing where we did a discount, our day-off model, which is, you know, we do day-off on the slopes every mm -hmm. year. Where you get a discounted lift ticket, so we did the same thing. We did day off in the dirt, 
Mm-hmm. You get a discounted price to go up there and four-wheel your Jeep. And uh, got uh, just under 100 people to go up there for a day. That's awesome. Try the first event and see how it went. And it went pretty smooth, so hopefully next year we'll make it bigger. Yeah. Awesome. And then you can find information for that on Jackson's website as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess the, the next big uh, event coming up is the MMR barbecue. Yeah, this Saturday it's going to rain. <laughs> Is it going to rain? It's going to rain. Dude. It's been raining for the last month. Yeah. Speaking of grunge rain. in Seattle, right? I mean. Look one more time here. Um, yeah, let's check that forecast, see where it's at. Uh, and the thing is, is, is tomorrow and today's Wednesday, right? Mm-hmm. So tomorrow and Thursday are supposed to be like sunny and 75, uh, gorgeous. And then Saturday uh, is calling for rain all day. Yeah, still calling for rain. And of course, Sunday, guess what? Sunny. <laughs> and sunny again. Uh. So we it, it's it's kind of become an ongoing joke at the station where it's just cursed, man. It's like we do it every rain year. La- last year too, right? Year. It rains yeah. almost every year. Yeah. Really? It's just how bad is it going to rain, right? I remember one year, I think it was the year Evanescence <laughs> was playing. I was out on the lawn. It was beautiful. It was sunny and this thunderstorm rolled in and just yeah, I remember reading about that. Downpour. Mm-hmm. You know, people just running for the doors. But uh, it looks like it's going to be chilly and rainy, and uh, that kind of sucks because it's our biggest crowd ever. Wow. Who's on the bill this year? Over 20,000 people there Saturday. Uh, Disturbed. Mm-hmm. Shinedown. Um, Soraya is our local opener. That's mm-hmm. another thing awesome. we've, we've done for years um, is put openers. And you've done, you guys did some shows for us. Mm-hmm. We put openers on, on big shows that we get. Mm-hmm. And the barbecue is one of the biggest we do, you know. And so we save that opening spot for a local band. And every year I just kind of handpick a local band to open up that show. That's awesome. Yeah. And if you guys would have stuck around long enough, you would have been up there. Hey, it happens. <laughs> you get old. You have kids. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know. True, true. You guys were my one of my all-time favorites, but you know that. Oh yeah, appreciate um, that, man. Thank you. So yeah, so uh, disturbed, shine down, three doors down. Um, who else is on the boat? Collective Soul. Wolf collective Mother. Soul. Yeah, Collective wow. Soul's got a new record. I just love that band, yeah. man. Yeah, it, it's become a thing where it's not so much about the bands; it's about the day. Yeah, like it doesn't seem. Mm-hmm. To, we've had better lineups mm-hmm. and sold less tickets. the The thing is, is every year it just grows. It grows. The community and grows, yeah. and grows and grows and grows, and now it's just an event. You know. So you said twenty thousand people. I, over twenty thousand. Do you do you? Uh, how do you feel when you get up on that microphone and you oh, talk I love to? That. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. yeah. It's There's fun. a great picture on your face. I think that you know you're looking out. I get up there and try to take a selfie too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll usually try to get out there and turn around and take a selfie of the crowd. <laughs> That's awesome. No, that's a rush. That's, that's a rush. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Like to get out there. It's funny. Um, you think someone who speaks publicly for a living would never get nervous, but there are odd places I get nervous. If somebody uses a camera, I know you mean cameras, mm-hmm. um, or even just a situation where there's only three or four people mm-hmm. and they're. I don't know, but I can get up in front of 20,000 people and I'm like, give me that microphone. Yeah. Yow! Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it's good. I love it. Yeah. I can stand up there and talk for an hour if they'd let me. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's because a, you know, it's being a band. That's a rush. It's a adrenaline rush, yeah. It's a, it's a rush. I'm working with this uh, this new band right now and they're, it's like their first show up on the roof, this thing they're doing. They're, they're real nervous and like, I'm just saying, I'm like, look, you know, this is just a great opportunity, you know, and like, don't worry about it. You're providing them with an art that not everybody can do, and they'll yeah. appreciate it. But I mean, it's good to give back, and you know that's that's something that you've definitely done here in the city of uh, Philadelphia since yeah, uh, 2004 when you began began your uh, your journey here. We're glad you're still here. Yeah, you know, thanks, dude. I'm glad, glad I'm still here. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad to, you know I can tune in each afternoon, you know, and uh, and listen to uh, rock and rolls. Uh, one of the greatest radio DJs out there, you know. Thanks, man. Thanks.
And uh, I really appreciate you venturing all the way up here to Plymouth Meeting this morning for yeah, the Bobcast. Yeah, that's not went too far. <laughs> what, what, eighteen minutes. Was it difficult finding my house? Because no, I'm kind of no, I'm, you I'm know, I just throw it in ways. Yeah, and it, it winds me around the back way. Okay, cool. Like Conshohocken yeah. and then, yeah. uh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. So you'll be on the air later today. People yeah, can uh, listen. Very Excellent. So when does this thing go out? How does this? This uh, well, basically, it? sometimes uh, you know, like what well, we're recording right now. What I do is I'll stop it and then I'll go in the post. I'll add beginning tracks. Right. Adding some special effects, sound effects here and there. Cool, cool. EQ it out, make sure everything sounds good, and yeah. you know, and then basically they can check it out here on the website, on the iTunes Store, Facebook, Twitter, awesome. Instagram, awesome. and now I'm on Snapchat. Are you on Snapchat? No, look, I, was, I used to I think was for like five minutes. I but... used to think it was like a dirty thing. Right. It's not really. It's actually kind of like the cooler version, I guess, of Instagram. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, technology, you know, That's you got hard to keep up. With, it's hard. Right? There's so yeah. many different things, you know. I mean, I've been going live on Facebook with with the phone, I which is that, you know. I see you and your kid on there, and I, I, funny thing is, I'm I'm hooked. I uh, I always hit play and I always watch most of it. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 a, your kid just laying there making yeah. his facial expressions. It's, it's like, adrenaline rush yeah. <laughs> for him. He's like, I'm on the live television. But I mean, like, who'd ever thought years ago that you could hit a button on your phone yeah. and go live yeah. to you know? I mean, I think that. Last video we did's got over 500 views, and I'm like, wow, it's just amazing. You know what's cool, is, man, is because you do this, you're, you're you're on top of things, and because I work in in media, I have to be on top of things, even yeah. if I have to get help from somebody. Go, all right, you got to explain this new one to me, mm-hmm. um, because if you don't, it's so easy to become your your like parents or your grandparents. Yeah. you know, yeah. just completely. What is this? Yeah, Why is like this my taking? Wife's dad, who, who has the hardest time even yeah. working a cell phone, you know, yeah. It's like, <laughs> You gotta stay on top of it. Cause Can you imagine in the next thirty years, though? Oh, it's like really ridiculous. You know? uh, even the next ten. Like I was saying earlier, it's like just go back, just go back ten years. Mm-hmm. We were all on MySpace, dude. MySpace, yeah. Right. MySpace.com. And, and we're like, that's for college campuses. What's mm-hmm. that crap? You know? Took over. And uh, you just can't. Yeah. yeah. Flip. Remember the flip phones? It would yeah, have that phones. that noise that did, 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 did. Yeah. like it would like interact with like uh, yeah. machinery. Like yeah. who's got their cell phone on yeah. in the studio? Yeah. So I used to have one that. Um, that I would leave in the studio, yeah. and you would, <laughs> I would constantly, gra- I'd be on the air talking, and it'd start interfering with the microphone, you'd hear this, and I would have to grab it, and I would literally throw it over my shoulder out the door, you know, people would be ducking, what the hell, I know, phone, I hate that phone, well now who knows what's going on, because most of us probably either are sleeping with our iPhones in our beds, or, you know what I mean, like, it's hard to, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's just really strange. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm watching the show called Eleven Twenty Two Sixty Three, where James Franco goes back into the '60s, and right. this person, this character, is like, "Tell me about the future. What's going on?" Right. Franco's like, "Well, everyone walks around staring at their phones all day," and like, she's like, "Nah," yeah. but it's the truth, though. Who knows? Thirty years from now, people may not be able to move their necks. You know what I mean? We may just be well, permanently well, stuck. I have, it's it's so funny. We have a, a young lady that teaches yoga at, at my gym, mm-hmm. and she says the she's working constantly with her clients on uh, these issues with their neck and their upper back. She's like, because they're constantly looking Staring. down at a phone. Mm-hmm. She's like, they're jacked up and they wonder why their their shoulders hurt and their backs hurt and their yeah. backs hurt. And it's like, you know, she's like, they walk around all day with their head down. Somebody out there in the Apple world probably is developing something where the phone just exists right. in your eyes. Well, you know what I mean? What was, it? Like, was it the Google... The Go- Well, I mean, that was so obtruse looking, yeah. I don't think it hit yeah, no, off. Yeah. But when you can just like activate it, you know what I mean? That's probably what, you know, like is going to happen. You know, I mean, I mean, I would personally like to be able to listen to music without anybody knowing. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, I'm listening to Led Zeppelin, Houses of the Whole, right. and nobody knows, you know, like in that film, uh, Her. But technology is evolving so quickly, and it is something that, you know. It also leaves us, I think, pretty vulnerable, though. 
sometimes it does. I, I try not to think about it because mm-hmm. if you start to think about it, it gets a little scary. It does. It's like, look, everything in everything about you is out there for somebody to grab right now if they yeah. want to. The people that know how to do it will grab anything and everything about you they want to grab. They yeah. They, you have to kind of just block it out and go, yeah, there's not much I can do about that unless I go off the grid. So it's just part of it. I, I went off the grid once for a year on yeah. Facebook, or maybe about eight months because I had to come back on because I had a new right. band that I went to promote. But for eight months, I had no social media interaction, and right. it was great. And I'd find out stuff like I used to find out in the '90s. You know what I mean? Like, uh, whereas you know, like on a Friday night, if you weren't invited to a party, you wouldn't know until Monday morning at school. But now, a kid finds out immediately if they check their social profile, and they're like, "Oh, well, look at these people over here at Susie Joe's house. How come I wasn't invited?" I miss not being accessible, and I also miss like. Finding out information right. later, you know. And our networks are so much. You used to have a you used to have a group of friends, right? yeah. And maybe there was ten or fifteen of them, and you all kept in touch. And if somebody broke their leg, mm-hmm. you'd hear about it. But our, our our social groups are so much bigger now. Like with Facebook, it's like you have hundreds and hundreds of friends that are like maybe merely acquaintances, but they're still yeah. you know you still consider them a friend. You maybe can you you, you, you um, chat with them on Facebook here and there and. And you're in touch with so many people mm-hmm. now, and so many weird. things are going on, and you're finding about, you know, Bobby's got the flu, and Jenny broke her leg, and David was in a car crash, and it's like, these are things you never would have even known. Never. Until you <laughs> saw them six months later yeah. in a bar somewhere, and go, oh, I haven't seen you in a year. Yeah. And now we can we can say we like it, we heart it, we, right. we laugh at it, we're sad at it, we're angry, it's like, oh my god, man, like, but who knows? The one thing that will stay a constant is music, though, I think. I mean... Yeah. That's just the one thing I guess that separates us from the animals is that we're able to express ourselves with right. drums, bass, guitar, piano, whatever. You know, and I think that that's something that you know technology will incorporate, but I don't think the aesthetic will change. I don't yeah. think in a hundred years, you know, robots just, will can be. Can you make a living at it anymore? It's mm-hmm. it's it's tough, man. It's tough. It's going to be tough. People want everything, and they want it for free. They want it for free, and they want it now. But at the yeah. same time, like it, it's just something that uh, it's got to survive. Yeah. You know what I mean. And that's what I'm saying. Hopefully the next Nirvana comes along and does yeah, just that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or, you know, there are a few, you know, like I, I, I will sing the praises of Atlantic Records because mm-hmm. they're one of the, the few left that develop a, an act. They, they took a, a band like Hailstorm mm-hmm. and signed them, right, with nothing. Nothing mm-hmm. other than an EP and some good shows and said, and, and the A&R guy said, I like this band. Mm-hmm. I like this band. We can develop this band. And put them on the road for... God, they were on the road for a year before they even hit the studio. They yeah. put them in the studio for two years. Now they're three years into a record contract. They haven't done anything yet. Mm-hmm. You know? And I might be exaggerating. It might be only a couple of years. But um, they developed that band. They mm-hmm. got behind them and did it the old school way. Mm-hmm. And continued to tour them and continued to record them and continued to push them. And now, you know, they're selling... They've got gold records. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, and airplay all over the country. It worked. They developed a band. There's something to be said for that. It can still be done, but you know it's a big risk for the record companies. You know, and you got to be willing to participate. You know, yeah, you got to be yeah. willing to, you know, craft your your yeah. art, and you got to be willing to right. work with these companies. Right. But it's 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 sad, but at the same time, it's also inspiring that somebody will have to defeat all odds, right. become the next Beatles. Well, the next, let's say you know? let's say the next Nirvana. The problem is going to be getting to the masses because is mm-hmm. is much. As, as technology has advanced and as many different ways as there are to be exposed to music mm-hmm. it's so it's so fragmented it's the pie has been cut into so many pieces mm-hmm. 
that it's hard to reach the masses. It, it actually had the opposite effect. So if a band like Nirvana comes out tomorrow and it's like, well, we've got Pandora and we've got Spotify and we've got FM radio and we've got, you know, all these different ways we can, iTunes, all these different ways we can reach people. But it's like, yeah, but all those people are spread out now. You know, mm-hmm. this handful over here uses radio, this handful over here listens to Pandora, this handful over here. Different markets. Yeah, and they're all in, you know, mm-hmm. it's tough, man. It's tough. Um, I still have faith. We have faith. <laughs> um... This has been a wonderful episode of Bobcast. I'd like to thank my guest, Mr. Paul Jackson, from the legendary 93.3 WMMR. We've been live in the lounge. I guess today's lesson has been, you know, you got to keep pushing forward. you got to persevere. As a musician, as a radio disc jockey, say, for instance, you, you move all around the country and you're not getting that job. You never know when you're going to get that phone call and mm-hmm. your life's going to change forever. Right. You, you move to the city of Philadelphia yeah. and uh, you're the voice from 3 to 7 p.m. Uh, yeah. That's true. I like that. That is uh, you know? something to take away. It's just keep charging. Man. Keep charging. Keep charging keep for charging. it. That's what we're going to do here. My name's Bob. This has been another episode of Bobcast. <laughs>